we come to the second week of Advent, this week is both peace and preparation. And preparation is normally, historically, referring to John the Baptist. Uh, the idea of peace is really antithetical to where we are in our country. Every year, the American uh, Psychological Association releases an annual uh, study of stress in America. And this year, uh, 2017, we actually broke the chart. We are stressed about the future of the nation. In fact, more than half of the people polled, around 59%, said they consider that this time in our country is the worst time for our country ever. And that includes people who lived through World War II, the Vietnam era, 9-11. Uh, it, that, that idea seemed to cross over between political spectrums, both Democrats and Republicans, people who identified as such, felt like that this was a horrible time in our country. Um, it crossed generations. Uh, we are a stressed out group of people. People are stressed about their money. People are stressed about the environment. People are stressed about their family situation. People are stressed about our country. We are stressed out. Amen. Amen. I, I mean, I think that it's, it's just something that we know. And historically, like I said last week, the, the advent, the, the candles and all that stuff has been... Christians literally have been doing this since like 400 A.D. And the idea of peace and preparation and John the Baptist and what John the Baptist said, to me, just logically thinking, I'm not going to put those two things together. I mean, John the Baptist is a weird character in the Bible. And sometimes we forget how strange of a character he is because we've heard the story so many times and we're kind of used to the flannel graph version of John the Baptist. You remember, I, when I was a kid, I recognized that John the Baptist's flannel graph character was the same as Jacob. And I thought to myself, it ain't putting nothing past me. I got this figured out. <laughs> but... John the Baptist is a weird guy, and I want us to kind of get a feel for that, so I'm going to do something a little strange. I want to read a little bit of John the Baptist story from a version of the Bible that I've got to give you some background of. In the 1930s, a man did a translation of the Bible he called the Cotton Patch Version. It, it's interesting. It's, it's like taking the... Well, he took the stories of Jesus, picked them up out of Israel, and set them in the rural south. And so Jesus, instead of being born in, Jer uh, in Bethlehem, was born in Valdosta, Georgia. Instead of going to Jerusalem, he goes to Atlanta. Instead of going to the temple, he goes to First Baptist Atlanta and throws out all the insurance salesmen that are gathered in the, in the front of the church. That's the kind of story that this is. It kind of takes it and puts it in modern time so we can see, get a feel for what it would have felt like in that first century. So let me read John the Baptist. One day... John the baptizer showed up and started preaching in the rural areas of Georgia. Reshape your lives, he said, because God's new order of the Spirit is confronting you. This is what the prophet Isaiah meant when he said, A voice is shouting in the woods, lay out the Lord's highway, straighten his roads. Now this guy John was weird. He was dressed in blue jeans and a leather jacket. and He was living on cornbread and collard greens. People were coming to him from Atlanta and all over North Georgia in the backwater of the Chattahoochee. And they owned up to their crooked, evil ways, and he dipped them in the Chattahoochee River. When John noticed a lot of Christians showing up for his dippings, he said to them, You sons of snakes, who put the heat on you to run from the fury about to break over your head? You must give some proof that you've a change of heart. 
And don't think that you can feed yourself that we're good church folk stuff. Because I'll tell you that if God wants, he can make good church folks out of this pile of rocks. Already the chainsaw is set at the trunk of the tree. And every tree that doesn't perform some worthwhile function is going to be sawed down and burned up. I'm indeed dipping you in water into a changed life. The one who follows me is so much stronger than I am that I'm unworthy even to shine his boots. You will be dipped in the Holy Spirit in fire. His combine is already running, running, and he'll give the field a thorough going over. He'll store up grain in his bin and burn off the stubble. Now that just that's a, a, a humorous way for us to look at the fact that John was doing something that nobody expected. So how do we job this crazy man who's dressed in a crazy way, eating crazy food, who goes out into the woods and tells everybody you're a bunch of hypocrites? How does that jive with peace? And the idea that we in our lives are go walking around so stressed. We're the highest medicated population in the history of the world. I read a statistic that said if forced to give a drug test, over 50% of the American population would test positive for opiates. And, and when it's not Legal medication, it's illegal medication. Or maybe that we're medicating ourselves from, from the ABC store. I mean, I know you get, if you go to church here as a Baptist, you got to go to Leesburg to go to the ABC store, but you still got to go. When I lived in Coleman, it was always Blunt County. And you always drove around and made sure there were no 25 tags before you pulled in, right? Same thing. I, on a side note, I just read a thing that said you should never, if a thought comes in your head, say it to the pulpit. But I, 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 I have a recipe for a steak marinade that, that requires a beer. And so I always try to get Miss Carolyn to go buy my beer for me because I would say nobody's going to believe you're using it for anything other than a recipe. If they see me, it's going to be all over the Internet. Regardless, we know we're stressed. We know that we have no peace. So as we come to this, I guess the first question we ask ourselves is, what is peace? And the best way to start trying to answer that question is to say, what it isn't. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, it said, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The idea of healing a wound lightly that's like if you your your arm is cut off you go to the doctor you don't want them to just put a band-aid on it you you want to know what the solution is i've always been a little amused when people say i don't like going to church because i don't want to hear somebody up telling me i'm going to hell or telling me that i'm a bad person in fact one of the things when i don't know if you guys all all know this uh, I, I'm, i've always made it very clear i was fired from pastoring a church they 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 didn't want me to stay there. And one of the things that was said the Sunday that they fired me is a lady got up and she said, I'm a grandmother. I'm 72 years old. I don't need to come to church every Sunday and be told I'm a sinner. Not real sure what being a grandmother has to do with it. But regardless, we don't want to hear that we're sinners. But if I go to the doctor and I've got cancer, I don't want him to be so concerned about upsetting me that he doesn't tell me the truth. Right? 
I don't want to go, oh, man, if I tell him that he's got cancer, he's going to be upset. So I'm just going to tell him he's got a cold and it's not going to be that big a deal. No, I want him to be straight up. What do we got to do to fix this problem? I remember uh, right after the earthquake happened in Haiti, I went, I, uh, God opened a door where I got the opportunity to go and do disaster relief. And I was literally on the ground about two days after the earthquake. And so we were still in a triage mode. And circumstances led to the, where I was actually, where the presidential palace in Port-au-Prince is, across the street was a police department. That building had been made with reinforced concrete, and so it hadn't fallen. And, and Doctors Without Borders had come in and made that that police station, a, a triage center. And so everybody was bringing people into that triage center. Uh, I, I, and so I was there, and I was functioning as chaplain. I would pray with people. I, would, I, I, I took French in high school, so I, I had to learn some uh, hymns, like Jesus Loves Me and stuff like that in French. And so I would sing that as bad as I sing. I, that was, that, they found it comforting, so they were in really bad shape. Um, the, the doctors and nurses there taught me how to put an IV in because when you, you, they, the, the police would show, jump up and run and they would, they would take lawn furniture or, or beach chairs kind of things and they would go and they would put the person who had been trapped under rubble or had, had been hurt and they'd pick them up and bring them into uh, the, that triage room and the, I would pray with them and I would start an IV. And I do remember, um, I've always had a lot more respect for nurses after this because, you know, you have to wear gloves. And, and the first thing you do, you know, you clean where you're going to do the IV. And then you've got tape. And tape and rubber gloves do not mix. And so I'm standing there in front of this person looking like a cat because I'm, I've got the tape over here and I pull it off this hand. And now it's stuck over here. And, I'm, ah, and, I, and you, know, you get a finger stuck. And, and I'm going back and forth. And I look down and this poor patient's eyes are this big around. And this is the guy who's going to stick me. I'm like, just give me a minute. I got this. And, and, and so I, I remember very well that, that there was a group there that was from Spain. They were physicians that were from Spain. They were leaving and going home, and we had a group coming from Chicago. And so there was about a two-hour gap between those two people where there were no doctors or nurses or anybody there. It was ju literally just me and the policeman. And I, I, those of you who know me, I am not medically minded. That's not my gifting at all. And so we're, I'm sitting there and playing on the phone or doing something. And all of a sudden, the policeman got a call and they go and run out. And, I, and I'm saying, there's no doctor. Don't bring anybody here. And they're like, it's an emergency. And I'm like, that really doesn't matter. It, I, I know nothing. And so they go out. And they bring this guy back in on the stretcher, and he had been cut right across his middle. And he's literally losing his innards hanging. I don't even know what they were. There's just stuff hanging out of this guy. And I'm not a doctor. And so I'm standing there, and they're like, do something. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, well, you're an American. And I'm like, that means nothing. And so I, I knew how to start an IV. That's, I had that down, so I started an IV. I'm like, there you go. There you got fluid. I, you, you got your stuff. And so where we were, one of the things that happens in a high-stress, high-trauma area is all the pregnant women everywhere give birth. And so they, they had all these pads because birthing is a pretty messy thing. And so they had all these pads. So I, 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 what I did was I just wrapped the guy up in pads, literally took duct tape and taped him up because I figure if stuff is going everywhere and I made the policeman carry, carry him the two or three miles literally on the, their shoulders to the hospital. And all I could do is wrap him up in pads and duct tape him up. 
you can't duct tape a person. I know. But that's all I knew to do. I healed him lightly, and is what the text is saying. I didn't know what to do. What needed to be done is somebody who knew what they were doing to put all that stuff back in there where it was supposed to go and then sew him up. And I'll bet you that was not a pleasant experience for that guy. But for him to be able to live and live his life and be healed, there had to be pain at first. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician and then later became a pastor in his life, said one of the most wicked things you can do as a doctor is alleviate pain. If you do that before you've identified what's causing the pain in the first place. You've got to identify the problem. And so what the prophets of Israel were doing was saying, it's going to be okay. They're there. Don't worry about it. I fear when I watch TV and see preachers on TV going, you're all right. You can live your best life now. That that's exactly what they're doing. But I don't want some half measure. I don't want some fake fix. I don't want some placebo. I want to see what the real cure is. In Ezekiel it says, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And because people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. The idea here is of a wall that's about to collapse, and the solution is, well, let's just smear some paint on it. Just cover it up. It's the same thing as before. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Isn't that a strange thing that we read Jesus said? Don't think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, what Jesus here is saying is he's not going to create some kind of false sense of everybody getting along. Isn't that what we so often, that lack of conflict being the definition of peace? Jesus is saying that's not true. When we lived in Turkey, it was very common if a person came to Christ for the entire family to have a funeral for that person and say, we're done with them. And we may shake our heads and say, well, that's in a Muslim context. Here in the United States, in the last year, there's a person that came to our CR. He got saved. And when he first got saved, his family, who knew that he had been heavily involved with drugs and alcohol, were saying, yay, yay, you've got some Christianity. Good job. But then when he started reading his Bible, studying his Bible, and started having an impact on his life, they didn't like it one bit. And so I started having to replace Bibles because his mother would throw them away. You see, if you're really in Christ and you're living a life that's different, the very things that you do make people around you go, hey, I don't want anything to do with that. So we know that peace isn't isn't some fake thing. So what is it? Jesus did say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not like that other stuff that we've talked about. No, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So we know that peace is available to us. We know that peace is there. The Bible tells us that the source of all peace is God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely. Hebrews 13, 20, the same thing. Now may the God of peace. So God is the God of peace. So we know that God is the source of peace. We know what it's not. We know that we want it. The text that that was read from Psalm, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? You see, one of the reasons why in a person's life there is a lack of peace is because we are at war as human beings naturally with God. Paul said we are at enmity, at open rebellion with the God that made us. And so the first way that we access peace is by what John the Baptist says is repent. What brought you out here, you brood of vipers? Repent. Because if we continue fighting with God, we're never going to have peace. Peace is not just something that we go, all right now. Just let go and let God. The first thing that we have to do is realize that in our natural state, we don't want God to tell us what to do. We're battling against God. That when God says we have to do something, we say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so the first thing, whether you call it salvation, you call it being born again, you call it getting, getting saved, whatever you want to call it, the first thing that you have to do to access that peace is that what John said, that repenting, that turning, that realizing that you can't fight against God any longer. You can't be your own man. That realization that everything I have, I didn't really earn it. But that God gave me the legs and the eyes and the mind to do everything that I've done. That every breath that I take is a gift. The Babylon Bee had an article a couple of months ago that said, um, Local atheist denies the existence of God using the mind that God gave him. Everything that we have is a gift from Him. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from Him. And you can't fight that. And so the first thing that we have to realize is that we have to be believers. You have to get saved. You have to repent. Now I wish it was true that once we got saved that everything just worked out. That I could, st- I wish I could stand here and say that the statistics that we read from, from the American Psychological Association doesn't really apply to believers. But you know what? I've been in the church long enough to know that's not true. Sometimes Christians are more stressed out than the world. We get stressed about all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, we've all heard the stories about the churches that split over the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls. Or, and I've, I've seen church stress within the church just build, 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 build. I know enough Christians to know. I do enough counseling to know that just because you're in Christ doesn't mean that all the stress just sloughs off. So once we repented, what do we do? And I think the answer to that can be seen in Philippians chapter 4. The text says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, 
I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, so the result of all that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's something we need to get. Because here the author is saying, if you do these things, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think to myself, I want that. I want to live in that. So let's look really deeply at what exactly we're to do. First, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, that's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do because it doesn't just say, rejoice in the Lord when the good stuff happens. It doesn't just say, rejoice in the Lord when you get the check. It doesn't just say, rejoice in the Lord when everything happens the way you want it to happen. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. But you see, it's that rejoicing in the Lord. We're not just stupid. We realize that bad stuff is going to happen. We realize that it's happening, but we realize that in the Lord, it's not having an impact. So if someone that I love dies, and I know as we come to the holiday season, I can look around this room. We talked about this last week. There are people in this room who all you can think about in the holidays is this person who I desperately love is not here. I know they're in heaven. I know that, that they're, they're doing whatever they're doing and they're rejoicing the Lord, but I want them now. I know that there's some of you who are feeling that way. So how do I rejoice? You can't just rejoice. It's rejoicing in the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, we studied this in Sunday school. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything in God's creation shall separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That no matter what happens to me, no matter what comes at me, I can know, I can rest assured that God is meaning it for my good and his glory. I can rest in the fact that it's all coming to me through him. And I can rest in the fact that God's wrath has been drained. That nothing is happening to me because God is angry at me. And that's something that I really want you to understand because I've had Christians that said to me, hey, you know what? My car is broken down and I've lost my job and I'm about to get kicked out of my house. What is it that I've done that God is punishing me for? If you've repented, if you've turned to the Lord, I can tell you on the authority of God's word, God's wrath is drained. That when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And so everything that comes at you in Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good to them who love him, who are those that called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he predestined to be transformed in the image of God. So everything that's coming at you is being done to transform you into the image of Christ. Oftentimes, oftentimes, It's those times of breaking that equip us so that we can help somebody else. 
I know that the Sunday that we talked about last week, after Hunter had died and we, we were at the hospital, uh, I called Garrett and I said, go, go open the church. We're going we're gonna to tell all the kids to come up here. We, we need them not running around and we need them not coming to the hospital, so open up the church, let them come here. So Garrett came up and opened the church. Jeff came up. Dwayne and Chris were here. And people were all, and I, I walked in as just as soon as I came to the hospital. And I came in and Seth's mom was sitting right there. Whose son had died not three or four months before. And I went up to her and I put my arm around her and I said, Right now, you are uniquely equipped to help everybody. You can help them in a way that I never can. And I watched her all night as she went from little group of kids to little group of kids. I watched her as she held people as they wept because God had used that trying fire of her losing her son to equip her perfectly for that moment where she could be the hands and feet of Jesus in this room. So if you've lost a spouse, if you've lost a mom, and you feel like there's no point in this, I just want this to end, realize that you are uniquely equipped to speak into somebody's life in a way that I never could. All the pain that comes into your life, God is using to make you who He wants you to be. Don't waste it. So we're not just saying rejoice. We're not saying be silly. We're saying rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Realize that God has not abandoned you no matter what has happened. That God has not washed his hand of your circumstances. Realize that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if Paul stopped there, I would say again, you're just, you're just being silly. Don't worry about anything. How am I supposed to do that? But see, the Bible is so good that it doesn't just tell us to stop doing things. Almost always it says, when you stop doing this thing, start doing this other thing to replace it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting your requests be known unto God. So if I'm worrying, Paul doesn't just say stop worrying. He's saying turn that energy into prayer. I, I personally, uh, in my own life, I, I, I'm a um, stoic, which means that every problem that comes at me, what I try to do is I try to put it in one or two categories. One, can I do something about it right now? If I can do something about it right now, I don't put it off. I don't put it on a to-do list. I do something. I do something about it right now. If I can't do something about it right now, then I put it in the when can I do something to prepare for it. And then the third is I, there's nothing you can do about it. And so I try to say, okay, if there's nothing I can do about it, what a, the Stoic philosophy says is just throw it away. If you can't do something about it, you don't think about it. You don't waste mental energy. But as a Christian, that's not the way that we do it. Instead of just throwing it away and saying, okay, there's nothing I can do about this particular issue, so I'm not going to think about it. Instead, what we can do is respond and turn that into prayer. Let's take our country, for example. 
A Stoic would look at what's going on in our country and say, other than voting, there's nothing that I can do to have an impact or an effect on what's happening in D.C. So it's silly and stupid for me to sit around wringing my hands and going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And so what you do is you wad that up and you throw it away. I'm going to show you a better way. The better way is, is that whenever that thought comes into my head, whenever I'm on Facebook, which by the way, about 90% of your stress could be alleviated if you would just turn Facebook off. Just throwing that out there for free. <laughs> because I will be in a great mood and start looking at Facebook, and then we'll have to, oh, golly, day, everything's good. And so just cut it off, because you can't do anything about it. But I'm looking through Facebook, and somebody's posted some silly, stupid meme or something that's, that's you know, the country's died, Hillary Clinton's poisoned all the cats, whatever. <laughs> and then so rather than go, oh, or, or go, oh, my gosh, Hillary's in my backyard poisoned the cats, I stop and pray for her. Say, God, I pray that right now. And then you know what I've learned is that, my, A, my stress alleviates, and the enemy stopped putting it back in my head. That if I'm, where are my kids? First of all, I get online where I've, I, I, I can stalk them, and I find out where they are because I don't trust them at all. They're, they're great kids, but it doesn't matter. I know they're wicked, evil, hell-bound sinners outside of the, God, the grace of Christ. And so I, 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 I'm just telling you, T-Mobile lets me stalk them. Woo, I can see exactly where they are. Oh, you're saying you're Chick-fil-A. Looks to me like you're Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I stalk them, and then I, I, I pray for them. And so as the stressors come at me, I don't let them consume me. Instead, I let it push me to my knees. Because then I'm actually doing something about it. You know, we so often act like prayers. And I know I've used this joke and it's tired, but where, where somebody says, well, I think we need to pray in the church. Or I think we need to pray about this situation. And the, one of the deacons in the back said, really, has it come to that? <laughs> that prayer is the last resort? Oh my gosh, there's nothing we can do, so I guess we'll just pray. But rather, if we, if we allowed the stress that came at us, that we took it to the throne and we raised it up in prayer. Prayer actually does stuff. We're not just talking to ourselves when we pray. And we know that. Cognitively, I can walk around this room, and as I'm looking right now, I'm seeing people that I've seen God answer prayers in your life, huge and small. And on that same trip to Haiti, this happened to me. I was, uh, all we had to eat was rice. It was USAID rice, and that gets old really fast. And I've learned on any mission trip, any disaster relief trip, I always take a big thing of Texas Pete, because Texas Pete covers a multitude of sins. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm eating my rice, and so I ended up ha- having a translator that I, I paid to go find me some eggs. And he came back with two eggs. And so I have, I have a, a cup that I always carry with me everywhere, and I put those in there, and I'm boiling my eggs. So I'm in the, back, the kitchen that we had was out back away from everything. So I'm out at the kitchen boiling my eggs. I'm watching the pot boil because that's how you make it boil faster, I think. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, yes, and I can picture these boiled eggs in my mind. And when you're hungry, whatever it is, is really good, and I can, my mouth is watering. And this little girl comes up to me who's like this tall, and she's got a cat. That's eyes, because of the dust and everything, is, is matted shut. And somebody had sent her to me, and she said, 
uh, she, she says in Creole, and I finally figured out, she asked if I was the priest. And I'm like, well, it's really not worth getting into. So yes, yeah, sure. Um, and she said, will you pray for my cat? And so I'm looking, and like I said, the cat had gotten dirt all in its eyes, and so the eyes were infected and matted shut. And my first thought, because of all of the destruction that we'd seen and all the hurt we'd seen, was it was actually anger. It was like, why would you want me to pray for this stupid cat? There are people all around you who are dying. God doesn't care about this stupid cat. And it's just a kitten. I mean, it's literally two weeks old. And immediately I was convicted of God doesn't care about the cat necessarily. God does care about that little girl. And so I got down on my knees. And we, I actually, don't tell anybody, but I took out my anointing oil that I had with me. And we anointed that kitten and prayed for that kitten. And she bounced off. And she was happy. And I'm always accused of never finishing the stories. Later she brought the cat back and the cat's eyes were clean. So God healed the cat. Now, I could have stressed about all the destruction going on around me. That country was unbelievably devastated. I think close to 100,000 people died in that earthquake. I, I, I had spent six or seven days standing in a bucket brigade just getting rubble out because Marine Corps was there at the first part and they had dogs that would identify that there's a living person here. And all you could do is stand on top of this building with a five-gallon bucket and fill it with rocks and hand it to the guy here and they'd dump it out. And then you'd move down the line so that you wouldn't get exhausted from picking up, up rocks. And doing that for hours upon hours upon hours and often finding a dead person instead of a living person. And it just the destruction just weighing down on your head to the point that it just felt like you couldn't. And all you had to eat was rice and Texas peat. And it's just terrible. But at that moment, turning those circumstances over with a little bitty girl on our knees laying hands on a cat at that moment, it was just the three of us and God. And he was real. And that little girl who didn't speak a lick of English, and me and the cat knew it. If we take our moments of stress, instead of letting them push you down and worrying and wringing your hands, I promise you, that if you will go to your knees or stand or sit in your car and you pray that God would break into that situation, whether he chooses to or not is immaterial, you will get a peace that passes all understanding. And so we look to God, the author of our peace. And finally, how we know that there's peace. And I'm going to steal Jeff's example from Sunday school. If I go to a movie I've already seen, I'm not stressed when I'm watching Bourne get slapped around. I know he's going to make it out okay. I know how it's going to end. And we know how the story's going to end. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So here what, we, what the writer here is saying is realize that all this stuff is going to burn up. Don't stress about your car. It's going to burn up someday. It may burn up sooner than this. We don't stress about the leak in the roof because you know what? It's temporary. This is not our home. And he's coming back like a thief in the night. And if we know the end of the story, then all this is, this is chapters in the middle. We just rest. And we live at peace. Father God, Lord, I pray, if there's anybody in this room who has never repented, has never turned and called on the name of the Lord, God, I pray that they would do so this morning. And God, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you would help us to remember that worry doesn't accomplish anything. But with prayer and supplication, the God that created the universe moves. So Lord, I pray that with prayer and supplication, we would call on your name. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to repent of not doing that, if they need to repent of, of their worry and their, their anxiety, God, I pray that they would come. And go, Lord, if there's anyone here that's looking for a church home, God, I pray that, that uh, North Glencoe would be where they would come. God, I just pray that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen.